Welcome to the Geek Centric Podcast and welcome to our watch club for the Disney Plus series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He is coming, master. Hello, I'm J-Law, but you can call me Justin, and this is our watch club for Obi-Wan Kenobi, Episode 3, Part 3. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and Star Wars in general. So if you haven't watched this week's episode, be sure to do so and come right back in less than 12 parsecs. Now, before we say hello there, let me introduce you to the two travelers from the Outer Rim who are joining me today. First up, he's the scruffy nerf herder of my life, Mr. Kevin Hudson. How are you, sir? Looking more like a Sith Lord. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's how I'm feeling these days, so it's, it's fitting. Hoods up in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, we have our returning guests, Megan Clara of Megan Clara Draws, the Jedi Master, who's a master with the pencil. Uh, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. I am excited Good. to hear all of your thoughts on this week's episode. And I know, Kev, you, you were unable to join for the first two. So before we kind of kick things into gear here with, with the uh, episode, I, I just thought I'd get high-level thoughts of what you thought of the, the first two episodes and uh, how you're feeling about the series after after those two. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm not quite like the Force. There isn't, uh, there, there, there's not quite a balance here, uh, you know, and, and that's very uh, reminiscent of my feelings on the show. Uh, I feel it's it's very up and down. There's for everything that I really enjoyed, there was another element of the show that just sort of maybe brought me out of it or or let me down a little bit. I'm just not sure if the production that we saw in those first two episodes sort of meets the expectations I had for such an integral character. Um, you know, I think with the TV format and the tv platform you can sort of get away with that a little bit more when it's a character like the mandalorian but when you have somebody just so legendary as obi-wan i want the story to feel as big as the legend surrounding that character and i just found it it felt a little bit too clunky and too much like tv at certain times yeah we had we had two back-to-back episodes with chase with Chase scenes with the kid. Yeah, the chase it. scenes. So, you know, some of the some yeah. of the writing for for the the Inquisitors has really let me down. Now I wasn't coming in with the same sort of fandom as as people who've watched Rebels or played Jedi Fallen Order, um, but I still had big hopes and expectations for these characters, and I just found them a bit lame. I don't. They weren't the badass Jedi hunters that I was sort of expecting here. You know, to see these supposedly powerful beings being toppled by canopies and and outwitted by nine-year-old girls it just it that, that just rang a little soft for me if you will but there were some excellent elements throwing us off with thinking it was going to be about luke and and surprising us with the leia story was really really cool getting to go to alderaan all those things plus it's you and friggin mcgregor back in in the role of a lifetime and 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 the he was the best part of the prequels for me so to see him back in this role has been everything i wanted from that aspect i will at least say that so it's it's not all negative there were a lot of positives <laughs> i was coming out liking more than i disliked but i just had to get on here and vent a little frustration that i had before we got started <laughs> that's what it's for yeah exactly we got a whole episode three for you to vent on too so uh let's get into it episode three starts off with obi-wan on the cargo ship that we left him and leia on last uh, and he's attempting to communicate with qui-gon yet again reaching out and asking for help while he sits on the ship with his eyes closed using the force we cut back and forth between anakin becoming vader and Obi-Wan hearing echoed flashes of his past, mixed with Reva taunting him that Anakin is still alive. Once the helmet is placed on Vader's head, we cut to Obi-Wan opening his eyes and whispering, he's coming, master. We then cut to Vader's castle on the lava planet Mustafar, which was glorious to see. Uh, and we are then taken into what looks to be his own throne room. Uh, and he's communicating, uh, or he's he's talking to uh, Reva, telling her that 
he's been watching her for quite some time. Yes, I'm doing a James Earl Jones <laughs> impersonation really badly, but <laughs> James Earl Jones is voicing Darth Vader. We we have him we have him back. So that's really great. He uh he he implores her to prove her, herself to him. Uh if she can do that, then the position of Grand Inquisitor will be hers. If she fails, well, she won't live to see the light of day, so there's no pressure there. Uh, so before we go any further, I had two questions in and around this about the first opening scene. Um, what did you guys think about this opening and, and how it kind of mashed up Obi-Wan trying to reach out to the force and seeing Vader come to life? And then with the other scene, is is this Reva's endgame just to be an Inquisitor? Is that is that is that is that is that what we're meant to believe here? Is that her, that's her motive? I mean, if that is the case, then her very confused uh, drive and lack of intensity makes more sense. Uh, right. I find <laughs> this character not to be all that appealing, but it's more just because the character doesn't seem to have really any direction or like there's no seething anger behind her. And I don't know if that's what she's supposed to have, but it makes me think of a very opposite performance um like Kylo Ren where he's angry and like he feels terrifying and intimidating and Kevin like you said these inquisitors just don't feel that way um so I I hope I keep hoping and we only have three episodes left but I hope that she surprises me um because I just don't really get where she's going but for that first moment when obi-wan's trying to contact uh qui-gon again i got shivers i know i loved it and when he said i know he's coming master i was like oh my god <laughs> it's, it's I know. really cool uh, it's classic obi-wan man i i absolutely i loved the opening of this episode i was like i've 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 watched just the opening like four times just because it it really does set the tone for for the episode. It, it it it's establishing Vader as a monster, as 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 a horrific figure. We're actually going to see that play out a little bit more in this episode. But to see that Frankenstein being pieced together, being assembled to be this this monster, I think that just that set the tone for what the rest of the episode was. And it and it's it was right and and i just love the fear in in obi-wan's voice as he whispers he's coming master so uh you know the fear is going to manifest itself as we move through the rest of the episode but i think that opening was was absolutely fantastic uh, yeah the, the, the assembly scene if you will it almost feels like this is what george lucas wanted that scene at the end of uh sith to sort of feel like this this but this was so much more powerful and it was so much more haunting and it was it was dark and it was scary and it was that was the perfect way to sort of show what Anakin is now or what Darth is I suppose you know he's barely a man he's so much more machine and and watching this assembly sort of sets up the big scene at the end and 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 it explains sort of his motivations and his actions in that scene towards the end of the episode so I love that idea you know, speaking of masters and apprentices and and then moving to Reva, if her goal is to maybe become Darth Vader's apprentice, you know, and that's her end game, I would kind of sort of get behind that a little bit more than just sort of being the best of the Inquisitors because right now that is not a competition anybody should really be striving to win. It's like it's being the coolest of the lamest people in the room at this point, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, but, but no, I, like, I just, I do hope that there's, there's some sort of bigger goal here because, because like you said, Megan, you just don't feel this apparent hatred that they're all supposed to have for the Jedi. And, and, you know, I, I just, yeah, just, it's still feeling a little hollow to me. They just feel like lackeys to Darth Vader. Like they yeah. only do his bidding. Like they're not, they're not freely independent on their own bounty hunters or Jedi they're doing hunters. this for job promotions and not because it's their <laughs> mission in life to rid the the galaxy exactly. of jedi and that yeah that doesn't seem feels like a little it's strong enough yeah yeah it feels a little hollow yeah for sure um okay well getting back into the episode uh back on the ship uh with obi-wan uh he manages to fix leia's little robot lola which is great uh just in time as they touch down on mapuzo uh, which is a mining planet following the coordinates the pair walk obi-wan explains that the empire has ravaged everything and that this planet uh, used to be full of fields and families 
and now it's it's a wasteland and in the moment when they're walking he becomes very frustrated with leia and then there suddenly appears a man in a cloak off in the distance the cloaked man turns to reveal that it's anakin in the similar style that he was uh as as a human in revenge of the sith it seems like obi-wan might be going crazy what do you guys think because it's not the force ghost that we were looking for obviously it's it seems to be something else that's that's a foot here. Do you think that do you think Anakin was projecting himself or do you think that this is just something that's haunting Obi-Wan? I think it could be a little bit of both. Maybe um Anakin, the Anakin that's still in there is trying to somehow make a connection with Obi-Wan. Maybe Vader is using that to get to Obi-Wan to try and figure out where he is. Similar circumstances to um Ray and Kylo Ren having that connection. I know that's like a dyad yes. thing, but they were able to see each other without seeing the area around them. Maybe Vader's found a different way to do that. Um, but I also think Obi-Wan just has this ghost haunting him because he knows that Anakin's alive. So it's he's going to pop up everywhere. Yeah, I definitely think it's him dealing with, with the grief of everything that's happened. Not yeah. just the grief, but now this realization that, that he's not dead yeah. and... And this is just him sort of projecting this this haunting inner demon um, and it's and it's following him around now. Yeah, it's a manifestation of his fear of his of his trauma. And it's sort of taking shape uh, in, in the figure of how he last remembers seeing Anakin. And I, I do hope we get more of it. Because this is kind of where I was thinking that this series was going to go. I think, Kevin, we were talking about it when, once it was announced that Anakin was casted to be Darth Vader, that we thought it would probably be more in this in, in this realm of, of Anakin kind of haunting Obi-Wan. I'm wondering if we'll see more of it. I, I hope we do. I, I, I'm, but is it going to just be like at a distance, like how that was, where it's just like fear is setting in, right? Yeah, I was kind of hoping um, that we'd get to actually see Hayden Christensen in the show because why would yeah. you bother casting him if you were going to put all this makeup and everything on? Yeah. So there must be something coming up that's going to be cool. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, he also, like, to, all credit to him, he, he did do a lot of research to get himself ready to be in a costume and how how he would actually work work the mechanics of that and even i know that there was lightsaber training um so how he would have to move in the suit and stuff like that to do it so again if he's going to lean into it and he knows that he's going to be masked you know if those are the things that he can control you might as well right like really lean into it because to your point what's the point of casting him if he's not going to actually invest anything right so yeah i think we'll see we'll see uh anakin again um okay moving on back with reva uh, she has figured out that obi-wan is is on one of the mining systems and having discovered obviously from from the manifest uh, that of the ship um she she confronts the inquisitors and demands them to send out all the probe droids however the fifth brother reprimands her and reminds her that she's not in charge However, she then shares, well, Vader put her in charge uh, for the hunt, and technically the fifth brother has no authority at the moment. Uh, so on Reva's orders, the probe droids are, are sent out. Back on Mapuzo, Obi-Wan and Leia are lost. However, Leia, being who she is, ends up stopping uh, a creature in a transport called Freck, who offers them a ride to the nearest port. In this moment, Obi-Wan plays sort of second fiddle to Leia, or as she's going by, Luma, who hops aboard, no no problems, and basically takes charge over o and over Obi Wan, and he just follows. However, as they continue down the road, stormtroopers arrive and need a lift. Freck, being a supporter of the Empire, offers them a ride, and they all hop aboard. Who do you think was voicing Freck? Did you guys find out who it was? Because a lot of people were saying Seth Rogen, and it was it's Zach Braff. Yeah. So. <laughs> There's Even way Nate too was much, like, oh, was that way Seth too Rogen? Much softness in his voice to be Seth Rogen. Yeah. That's what I. That's what I was thinking. Like I listened back to it, and then I went and I I looked online after, of course. And yeah. Yeah. It was it was an interesting character for Zach Braff to choose to to voice. Uh, we'll, we'll get to what happens to him next. Um, on the transport, the stormtroopers share with Obi Wan and Leia that they are looking for a Jedi. Apparently, none of these guys can recognize a Jedi. During their conversation, Obi-Wan slips up and calls Leia by her real name. Obi-Wan comes up with a great story about Luma's mother, who was named Leia, and that, and at times, when he looks at Luma, he thinks of Leia. A very sincere moment 
that definitely lends itself to being one of the more tender moments of the episode. Despite being incredibly suspicious, they managed to make it through without any of the stormtroopers saying anything else, shrugging off Obi-Wan's slip-up and not alerting the authorities. Instead, they leave the transport and head off to find the Jedi they were hunting. After, Leia says to Obi-Wan, you knew my mother, and going so far as to asking him if he was her father. Surprised by this, Obi-Wan denies being her father and sort of acknowledges that he did in fact know her mother. Then Obi-Wan shares a story of his past where he was taken from his family at a young age and he remembers having a brother, but he found a new family with the Jedi. Okay, so just a couple things here. Uh, are we seeing a Force-sensitive Leia read into Obi-Wan and sensing that he's hiding something? And also, Obi-Wan had a brother. What do we think is going to happen with this? Do we think we'll see more of this? Or is this just something to give more background to Obi-Wan's history? Yeah, I, I kind of hope that's all that is. It it, it does you know, bring a little humanity to the character and, and to the whole process of becoming a Jedi. Obviously, we see that most uh, intimately with Anakin being taken from his mother uh, to go and become right. a Jedi. But so to hear that it's such a relatable sure. story for Obi-Wan, I think is a pretty cool little nod. Um, and even just going back to the story on the transport, the, the lie, if you will, that he tells these stormtroopers, I just thought it was so neat that well, obviously, he's making up a cover story for them. It's so rooted in truth, and it was his chance to sort of yep. express what he felt about Padme and how terrific she was and how big of a loss that yep. was for him. And so that was that was really nice. All of these moments here between between him and Leia are, are really quite sweet. Yeah, it, it's, it, it was probably one of the mo my favorite moments, that like the soft moments of, of the episode. That just, it, it, you kind of see, it's like it's really cool to see these characters where we know they're going to end up just having this moment that we've never seen. Right. And maybe establishing something new in that moment. And I honestly think that we're seeing her force sensitivity abilities kind of like manifest itself. We've seen it throughout the episodes. I think this is her being able to read a situation really well because there's, there's in Canon, there's, there was, books about Leia and her ability to her force power really being the idea of like trusting her gut, like feeling her instinct. This is very much us seeing her force sensitivity, like, and you know, her just thinking that she's everyone just thinking that, well, that's just how she is, right? Like she's just, I mean, but yeah, I mean, she, you have to remember she's grown up on Organa and you know, her father is a, a politician and she's surrounded by this every day of her life. And so I can't help but thinking some of that has rubbed off on her, just on her ability to to be able to read people. And we see it in the very first episode, I believe it was, where she calls out her cousin, you know, and sees right through him to, to exactly who he is. And I, again, I think that's, I don't know if it's the force sensitivity or if it's more, again, being a politician's daughter and just reading a room and being able to talk your way out of situations as a, as a politician, um, you know, often is able to do. Yeah, I just it's it's something strange, especially how young she is. Do you know what I mean? Like she's just she's so much more mature than the rest. But yeah, I guess you could I guess you could equate that to just just being exposed to the politics of it. That that, that I guess that makes sense. Because too. isn't that kind of that's kind of one of my problems with the character of Leia here is that she's so much older than she actually is in the way she behaves, in the way she talks, in the way she speaks with adults and everything. She just she seems so much older than a, a nine or ten year old girl here. And that's kind of my problem with some of the writing around the character is that, you know, she's she's too smart to be uh, relatable in, in that sense in a lot of ways. I think that also comes with the fact that they cast a kid who looks like she's six. So it's not yeah, a great like, contrast. She already looks so much younger than a 10-year-old would actually look. So then making her more mature seems even less feasible. So I totally understand that point of view, which is... Kind of brutal. <laughs> um, I also wanted to go back to when uh, the stormtroopers come up and talk about how Zach Braff uh, voiced this character. I watched the episode three times and I could have sworn that one stormtrooper that says like two lines was Jason Bateman, but it wasn't at all. <laughs> I, right, I heard right, right, right. it. I heard it every single time and it's not him, but I thought that was I funny. was thinking it was, I, I, I looked to see if Jason Sudeikis was in it because he, well, he was, he was in, in the Mandalorian, been in Mando, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right, right. I, I just thought maybe if if by chance, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but there's also instances later that we hear female stormtrooper voices, yes. which I thought was was really, really well, cool. Well, yeah. So I was wondering, when did the replacement of the clone program and the sort of the, the, the stormtrooper, you know, okay, so that happens around Bad Batch time. But, it's it's happening during the bad. Batch, okay, right? so yeah. it's already kind of like in place when where yeah. we are in this show, yeah. that they're just yeah. sort of Correct. recruiting yes. people from around the. Okay, perfect, perfect. I, I did wonder yeah. that, Correct. so that's a good clarification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. Okay, let's continue here. Uh, so Freck is very suspicious of the pair and ends up leading them to an Imperial checkpoint. Uh, there, the stormtroopers ask them to exit the transport, and a probe droid arrives to scan Obi Wan's face. Of course, it validates that he is, in fact, Obi-Wan Kenobi, just before he whips out his blaster and shoots the probe droid in the eye. Obi-Wan then takes out the rest of the stormtroopers and uses Freck as a human shield to kill the stormtrooper who has the higher ground, who then falls to his death and is split into two. As Leia and Obi-Wan escape, more stormtroopers arrive, and just before these stormtroopers can react, a rogue agent named Tala, played by Indira Varma, reveals herself as the contact that they were supposed to meet. Unfortunately, though, they appear to be too late, as Riva has tracked down their locations on Mupuza. The Empire quickly closes down all ports, making getting on and off planet very difficult. Okay, two things that, that come to mind with these two scenes. So first, what did you guys think of the action in that uh, in that first sequence? And uh, we finally have our confirmation of who Indira Varma is playing, and she's actually playing uh, not a villain. She is playing a defected general or soldier from the Empire uh, who's helping Obi-Wan named Tala. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by this because I think that a lot of people had pegged her for the villain. We had seen her in the in the trailer. Uh, looked like she was probably going to to be that, that sort of typical villain. Here she seems almost like um, an inspiration of hope very much. Uh, what did you what did you guys think of this reveal that of Indira Varma's character Tala? Uh, I mean, personally, I think it's it's cool. We haven't really ever seen a character that's defected from the Empire and is using that as a cover to help the the rebellion movement. And so, you know, for yeah, her I to be this is, yeah. character and to subvert expectations that you might have had about who the character might be, I think that even that works even better for pulling it all off here. Yeah. So, yeah, I just thought that was a really cool yeah. look at, at how the rebellion is working at, at this stage um, you know, with, with defected um, soldiers and everything like that. Yeah, it shows that there's still good in within the Empire. There's people that aren't necessarily fully converted to this mentality. So I think that that's, that's a smart move. You're absolutely right, I think, to embrace that and, and show that there are, like, people that might not necessarily agree and are going to reject that and do what they can to help. I think that's a great, that's a great sort of uh, fusion inside of the, the Star Wars camp. Now, speaking of Indira Varma, who plays Ilaria Sand on Game of Thrones, there is some serious season seven and eight Game of Thrones time manipulation bullshit going on here with this whole protocol droid and everything like that. So Obi-Wan and Leia escape, and Reva, instead of just following them in a ship, gets in her own ship, goes back to the Inquisitor's base... Then they send off these these probe droids, which somehow travel through space at light speeds, even though we've seen in a movie like Empire, they actually get shot off of ships in a planet's orbit and then go down and survey. They don't traverse millions of, of miles of space to get places. So then this droid gets, like, the time manipulation doesn't make sense that they were able to catch Obi-Wan with all of this going on. And then even just later, an hour or two later, then Reva and them have jumped in their ships and come to the planet and everything like that. That drove me a little crazy, how they're playing with time just to fit the story. You know, it's a little too Game well, of Thrones Well, it, it does feel like it's, yeah, it does feel like this has all happened over the course of a day. I do agree with you there. It does feel like, you know, from the time that they land and, you know, by the time night falls and, you know, we get to that inevitable scene that towards the end, it feels like that is a day that has passed. So, yeah, that that's a that's a fair call out to just say that maybe things were a little too convenient throughout the, the timeline. Things just lined up a little too easily. Meg, how about yourself? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, um, I didn't know that Star Wars, uh, since being owned by Disney, would ever be as brutal <laughs> 
as this episode. Yeah. Um, starting with the death of that one stormtrooper, we visibly watch him get cut in half. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess this is where we're going. And obviously we continue to see much, much worse. So it's um, really, really awesome and epic to actually see stuff like this being played out because we know what happens, but they're always like, it's, it's got to be safe for kids to watch. So it's good that they're bringing out these more like volatile and scary and like kind of disgusting moments. Yeah. Yeah. Without relying yeah. too heavily on something. gore so they can keep it suitable yes. for most audiences, but still like, I was like, Oh, when he, when <laughs> he the, it was like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, I love that they're able to, it's, it, to please older fans while also keeping it suitable for younger fans. That's a tough balance. And, and they did that well here and in a couple scenes in the episode. Absolutely. And with this stormtrooper, when he gets shot, I was like, oh my God, another stupid stormtrooper death because he gets shot and then jumps forward. But then getting <laughs> yeah. cut in half was really, really cool. <laughs> well, what's great is they put that. Is it the Will? Is it the Wilhelm scream? It was. It made its Kevin? first appearance <laughs> of the scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it just oh! falls and, it yeah. was it, it it kind of was like the it was like the icing on the cake for him to get sliced in half. Uh, so and it was shocking because I wasn't anticipating. I remember I watched it and I was just like, what? Uh, I was not anticipating that. OK, moving on. Uh, for now, Obi-Wan and Leia are led to a safe house where Tala explains that she's in the business of helping. They're trying to link one system by calling it the path. This path leads to Jabim, a planet on the Outer Rim, a way to hide those and give Jedi new identities and get them off the system. Anyone who is Force-sensitive are hunted, although she admits she doesn't know what happens to the kids after they're captured, but uh, um, I might have a, a theory about that. Uh, on the walls, there's, uh, there's multiple scribes and etchings, and Obi-Wan notices one from a Jedi he recognizes named Quinlan Voss. Uh, who is actually one of the people helping to smuggle younglings out. Obi-Wan is fixated on the quote that he left, which reads, only when the eyes are closed can you see the way. So, Meg, I know you're a huge fan of the animated series, so I thought maybe uh, this would be a great opportunity for you and our listeners to learn a little bit more about who Quinlan Voss is and uh, why he's so integral. Yeah, so he's actually only visibly seen and like super featured in one episode of the Clone Wars series. It's episode nine, season three. Um, it's called Hunt for Zero, and he gets in a battle and all this kind of stuff. It's super fun. Um, but he is seen in the Phantom Menace for like mm -hmm. a quick second in the background, and that's the only other time we visibly see him um, in any Star Wars content. I'm uh, mm -hmm. sure there's many comic books or stories in regards to Quinlan Boss. He has a relationship with Asajj Ventress at one point, taking him yeah. to the dark side, and then he returns to the light because he's realized his love for Ventress. Um, he obviously doesn't end up with her, but uh, yeah. That's his his story. That's He's, his background. Thank you. Yes, he is a um, a maverick of the Jedi Order with a reputation for bending the rules. And I also read that he has the power of retrocognition, which means he can perceive others' memories through touching objects that they have connected with. Yes, and that's that's a huge thing. Uh, that was basically his sort of differentiation of how he used the Force, um, because no one really ever showcase that I, i'm wondering if we're gonna see quinlan in, in so. this in this in this series um especially given the way things end uh which which we'll we'll talk about um i was referencing here though uh tala says that she doesn't know what happens to the force sensitive children um that get captured uh there is a episode or a series of episodes uh, that involved Cad Bane, where he was uh, taking Force-sensitive children to Emperor Palpatine to sort of be studied and uh, uh, manipulated. So I'm wondering if in some cases they there there might be a hint at that, because, uh, you know, again, tapping into things like when we get to Grogu, cloning, uh, th those sort of things, and how early on that's that's happening if you will, uh, in in the grand scheme of the Emperor's plans. So, um, and who knows, maybe we'll see him in the series at some point. Anyways, continuing on here, we're getting to the good stuff now. 
Midway through preparing to leave, Obi-Wan senses something and immediately begins to breathe heavily. It's Vader. He's arrived and senses Obi-Wan's presence. And at this point, all Sith breaks loose as Vader uses the Force and chokes some town folks, snaps a kid's neck, which was just like, oh, <laughs> that was another shocking moment, and drags a woman like a rag doll while choking her on the ground, all in, in, in the hopes that he can draw out Obi-Wan. The moment is so fearful for Obi-Wan. You really see him sink and be consumed by his fear, and he begs Tala to take Leia away and, and get her to the passage and get her to, to Alderaan so that they can basically divide and conquer and he can hopefully lead them away. Uh, once the troopers have the town under lock, Reva discovers the safe house that leads to the path. Much like Obi-Wan, she recognizes the Jedi Order symbol etched on the wall and places her hand on it. And there seems to be a little moment here that they seem, she seems to like touch and reflect on it. And then she just has a full burst outrage and she discovers the path and then kind of smirks because I think she's going to figure out how to get on the other end. So I've kind of changed a little bit of the order there. I know that, that I'm going to get to the really, really good stuff here, but I just wanted to take a second here first. That moment when Vader shows up in the town Let's talk about it because that was some like vicious like here's where we get these serious horror elements kind of like really sinking in. Um, and also just in this scene with Riva, what did you guys think? What's up with her? Why is she like looking at this Jedi Order thing? What do you think? Well, this is another moment where her anger doesn't make sense to me because um, with the power that she seems to have uh, when she gets mad, she decides to flip a table. <laughs> I don't really get it, but it's fine thank god that table was there for her to flip though, no right? look out the powerful <laughs> jedi or the powerful force user flipping tables Ooh. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah I, but at least we get to see vader in true vader form uh we know he's capable of killing children and he shows us blatantly <sighs> wow, that's, a, that's a that's a dark callback but it's it's very true and between this and and Rogue One, it's so nice that they're like making Vader the 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 the, the scary the monster that he is, monster yes. that yes. we remember yeah. from from way back in the day. You know, it's tough to go and watch lights the lightsaber fight from from A New Hope now and and <laughs> think, ooh, big bad scary Sith Lord. But these moments are are helping to rectify that sort of image and really bringing just the, the monster forward. See, I, I would say that the ominous nature of Vader in the original movies, that's what made him scary. It's all the lore and the mythology around him that, that helps build that. And here we're actually fully seeing what all the talk was about Vader. Right. And I, I absolutely love it. They're really bringing it to life as you're, as you're saying. And it's, you know, again, it's, it's just doing justice to the character. And it's very much like how Boba Fett, when he was introduced in, in the original in the original series, there was more mythology and lore around him that made him seem cooler than anything that was on the screen. You know, flash forward to, you know, when the, he's introduced in The Mandalorian season two, and he's absolutely badass and people are freaking out over him because he just is everything that people would have hoped for. I think that's kind of the same presence that Vader has now. It's just everything that people would have wanted to see from Vader early on. He's he's now manifesting in this in these moments and it it's it's scary. It's very scary. Well, and I think it's it's good for Obi-Wan well, it's probably not good, but it's it's a, <laughs> a powerful moment for Obi-Wan to see just that how far Anakin is removed from this 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 presence now. It, it this is this is not Anakin anymore clearly and and I, I mean, he 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 gets an even bigger lesson than that in a few minutes. But no, this is his first in, for this to be his first encounter with his former, you know, best friend all these years later. It really does show just how far down the dark side he's gone. Very true. Very true. So, uh, yeah, let's let's keep going here. Uh, as I was mentioning, Obi-Wan is fleeing the town, hopefully to draw everyone away from it and and maybe hopefully vader as well and sure enough that that works uh and the two end up facing off and obi-wan appears weak and scared this allows vader to overpower the jedi vader then catches him and lifts him with the force 
removes his lightsaber and proceeds to light the ground on fire after setting, I believe there's some sort of crystals that would ignite. He lights it with his lightsaber and he drags Obi-Wan through the fire, burning him, scolding him. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the, in the path, Leia begs Tala to go back and get Obi-Wan. Uh, she says she can make it to the rendezvous alone. Tala does fall back, catches up with Obi-Wan and Vader, and just in the nick of time, too, uh, she ends up firing a blast, saving Obi-Wan from a stormtrooper, and then igniting another fire, giving uh, Loaderbot Ned B, who we met earlier in the episode, an opportunity to, to go over and, and save, save Obi-Wan. And all that happens is Vader just stares across, watching. He does nothing and ends up turning away. Meanwhile, Tala and Ned B move quickly to get uh, Obi-Wan to safety. But for Leia, back at the path, well, she reached her rendezvous, and unfortunately, Reva was there waiting for her, and it appears now that Leia is in danger. And that is the end of episode three. So with that, I'm gonna, I don't have a, a, f a funny quip for our <laughs> prediction segment, but with this, let's, let's get into sort of uh, some predictions here about what we think about why Vader went through all this effort and then just ended up standing there uh, just to watch Obi-Wan get rescued. And what do you think is going to happen with Leia? Well, so to go through that whole section of the episode, um, I really enjoyed this fight sequence because, again, like you were saying, it showed how weak Obi-Wan is. It's been 10 years since he's used a lightsaber. And it also shows Vader's anger by seeing his uh, previous master again and how, like, he just wants to cut Obi-Wan's head off. So basically all he's doing is hacking and slashing at Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan's just trying to stay alive. So that fight sequence was really cool to see. I don't get what Star Wars is doing with making all of these shows so dark and not in like a spooky, scary way. It's just visibly so dark. I can barely see anything on my TV. So um, it was epic when the red lightsaber came out. That was a cool moment. But other than that, it's hard to visually watch the show when it's so light uh, weak. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it's so darkly lit and, and it does almost feel like the only reason they did that was so that the lightsabers would look so good. Cause I mean, that is like maybe the, those are the best looking lightsabers I have ever oh, yeah. seen in my life, but it does weaken everything around it when that, that they're just going for that one moment and not considering everything else. So yeah, it's a, it is very frustrating when these shows these days are filming and just almost pitch black. <laughs> um, but at least there was a justification here, I guess. I guess it it reminded me of the lightsaber battle in Empire Strikes Back, uh, the blue and the red contrast, and, and some of those dark tunnels. There was a little bit more light there. Uh, I do think though <laughs> that they they leaned into the darkness a lot more to kind of give more of a Mike Myers horror vibe to it. The way that there's you know Obi Wan's being chased down and being kind of like hunted. Um, and, and, you know, the confusion, the sort of disorientation as he has the lightsaber. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. Like Vader's fighting style is hacking. He's using one hand. And while Obi-Wan is like struggling and using two hands and like shaking to like block every shot that Vader's giving him, you can see the confidence that uh, Vader has versus the lack of confidence that obviously Obi-Wan is is feeling in that moment. This is just a taste, though, I hope, whatever we, we saw here. Like oh, I, yeah. I think we'll get a, a, t a take two of, of them going at each other a little bit more confident obi-wan but here it was really interesting to just see how again as i was saying at the top with with the opening just the horror elements that find a way to kind of blend here to give vader more of a, a menacing towering monster feel i think it really hit and then of course you know lighting the ground on fire to drag him through it was just like you know satan <laughs> <laughs> well and also to touch on the point of of vader sort of just watching while obi-wan gets saved it's actually really reminiscent of his character through the animated shows um he's obviously barely in it in clone wars but he's heavily featured in rebels and he doesn't act on impulse he's extremely calculated so he knows in that moment I've done what I wanted to do today. We'll come back to this another day. 
um, which is really cool to see. I know that uh, Hayden Christensen did his homework and watched the animated shows, which I think is super cool. Um, so you can see that sort of flow through all of these shows. I have a theory about this, but I want to know, Kevin, do you have any theories as to why Darth Vader just kind of stood there? I mean, the only way I can justify it is that, you know, it's the thrill of the hunt. He's he's yeah. he's he's inflicted those first almost more mental wounds than and emotional wounds on him. He's got Obi-Wan right where he wants him, but he wants this to last. He says he wants to really make him suffer. And so if this is just part one of a of a bigger plan to to really torture him and and make his demise last longer i'll be okay with it if, if that's the end game because at first it you know if obi-wan doesn't block he's toast right like and it, it could have been over right. in one hack of the lightsaber but then all of a sudden now he's he's being calculated and so i wonder if that was sort of his emotions getting the best of him at the beginning there just wanting to to cut down the person who did this to him but then realizing okay i I've got him where I want him. I'm really going to make this last and enjoy this. And so if that's what they're doing here, I'll be fine with it. Interesting. Okay, I, I, my theory might seem really lame after this, but <laughs> you know, we're we're looking at the trauma of the events that have happened that are taking effect on Obi-Wan. In that moment, you know, that fire you could see caught Vader off guard and he stares across and I actually don't think he was staring across to watch Obi-Wan get taken away. I think he was mesmerized and fearful of the fire because of what it symbolized to him. I think that in that moment, and I know it, there's no face to kind of read off of, but I think he was actually scared of the fire and couldn't actually bring himself. I know what he ended up doing was force pushing Obi-Wan and that dissipated the fire. But I'm I'm thinking that he was just mesmerized by his fear, like his fear took over. And I, you know, you go back to what you said at the top there, Kevin, about more machine than man maybe that's the sign that he's still a man he still has fear he still has trauma he still has these elements that very opposite of of what obi-wan has obviously but to a certain degree there's still some level of trauma that he's dealing with so i i, 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 I like felt like that that's theory. what it was especially i like that theory but they didn't convey it enough if that is what's going on especially because he lit the bloody fire the first time himself he put out the <laughs> fire quite easily the first time you know, so like he, he if he's overwhelmed by it, it just doesn't make sense with the context of five minutes earlier. He's the one lighting it and playing around in it like it's a toy, you know. So but I, I do like that idea that it's still, you know, it's, a, you know, he does live on a fiery lava planet, though. So I don't know how <laughs> terrified of lava he really is. He lives where he almost died. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, exactly. He's a complex yeah. character, he set up shop. Guys. He's very complex. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll see more of it. Maybe we'll see if there is any any hidden trauma to to Anakin and, and Darth Vader uh, as we as we get further into it. But uh, I think it's about time that we give our overall thoughts on this episode and our final score, which we'll be rating out of one to five tormented townsfolk. Oof. <laughs> Rough. <laughs> Meg, you're our guest. Why don't you kick things off? <laughs> sure. So this episode was dark. Not only was it difficult to, to see the screen for the second half, but we witnessed some brutality. We got the hint of the rebellion. We got some incredible action and suspense and the start of a battle that we've all been waiting for. I am going to give this episode a 4.2 out of 5. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Wow, you're doing the Kev method. <laughs> it's not close enough to perfect, as, but I really loved it. Giving it a 4.2 out of 5 tortured townsfolk. That point .2 is the kid's neck. <laughs> I love it. That is no rookie score there, guys. I love it. Kev, how about you, Scruffy Nerf Herder? Um, um, I, this is definitely my favorite episode of the show so far just because so many of the corny cheesy tv tropes that sort of brought down the first two episodes for me because again there was so much that i liked but it just the quality really got brought, it brought down. it down no I whereas agree. in yeah. this third episode here the quality just it felt a little bit more uh authentic and 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 a big enough scale to if you're going to be telling this extended story of darth vader and obi-wan and the bloody princess you know for crying out loud they deserve it to feel big and this one it still meanders a little i mean it's a lot of obi-wan just wandering around on a planet like it doesn't feel necessarily like a big enough adventure to justify even telling 
until we get to the rematch of the century and and the the confrontation between these characters i'm still very very excited to see how they're going to they're going to finish off this series and their confrontation and make it make sense with everything that's said and exchanged between the two characters in episode four. I'm, I'm very, very curious to see how it all works, but it's a good curious. I'm eager. I'm excited. I can't wait to see more. And if this truly was just round one of, of, a, of, a, of a fight that we're going to get between the two characters, I, I, I can't, couldn't be more excited to see more. I'm just wondering, now that Princess Leia has not just been captured, but now she's in the hands of Reva, how do we not have her interact with Darth Vader? And we will, because we will, I, but I see, it's just, I'm so curious to see how they're going <laughs> to make this all work and still Hi, not Dad. kill. Yeah. Like how does it not kill everything that happens in episode four? I like, I'm so curious to see in a good way. Yeah. I, I, I do have one remark about that. Uh, I do think that Darth Vader and Leia could potentially meet, um, when we meet, when we see Darth Vader board uh, Leia's ship at the beginning of A New Hope, it's clear when they interact that there is a, a an existing relationship, like they know each other um, in in some capacity. I feel like this might play into her knowing who Darth Vader is and the, having that understanding. If it goes so far as that she gets to Darth Vader and even Vader senses some sort of force sensitivity in her, then that might create a muddled mess. But I don't know. I, I I don't know how close of a proximity. But I think that if they can they can do it in the right amount, it could still fit for a new hope. Like their meeting in episode four, though, doesn't feel like they're they're old acquaintances. It's more like he knows that she's leading the rebellion, and she knows that he is the second in command to the to the emperor. And it's more of a familiarity sure. with who each other is, not a remember that time when you kidnapped me when I was a nine year old girl. <laughs> Uh, so I sure, just sure, don't know yeah. how that's all going to be justified. I'm very, very curious. That said, the intrigue is carrying me along here. I really do think we're going to get just an epic showdown between Darth and Obi-Wan. Uh, looking forward to seeing Qui-Gon. There's lots and lots to look forward to in the second half of this show. Uh, and so for that reason, I would, I'll give what would be my highest score if I were to have ranked all three episodes. Uh, I'm, I'm right around where Megan is here. I'm, I'm at a 4.1 out of five tormented townsfolk. It finally, Very it finally good. cracked into the fours for me because the other two episodes were high threes. So it's, if it's moving in this trajectory, I'm excited to see where the last three episodes go. Yeah, I think I'm on the same page as, as you guys. I think though some some things hit a lot more for for me. Um, you know, I'm I'm here for the the Obi Wan Vader rematch. I'm here for trying to make Vader seem more like a monster to embed more horror elements to have his figure representative of fear throughout the galaxy. I want to see that, and I feel like that's what we got uh, in this episode. We got a lot of that. Um, there's more to come, as you were saying, Kev. I think that there's a lot more to come. But the fact that we got it here, um, you know, episode three, it delivers. Um, it, it took a little while to get here, I think. But I think that the, the, the high point here is seeing Obi-Wan sort of at his lowest in that he's separated from Leia and he is being hunted by a full-strength Vader that is, you know, also his his brother, and I, I don't know. I just I think that this on its own is a great piece of Star Wars content. I absolutely loved it. Um, and it should be really great because this is the halfway mark. Right. And what excites me, like you said, Kev, is is where we're going next. I have a lot of hope for for the rest of the the, the season or the series, if you will, with the remaining three episodes. Um, and for that reason, I, too, am going to be giving this a four out of five tortured townsfolk. Boom. There we go. We're all kind of aligned there. So, well, that's it. That's our watch club for today. Um, but before we wrap things up, Meg, I would love for you to share with our lovely audience where they can go check out all the great artwork that you're doing, all the great stuff that you're working on. Uh, once you, once you let them know. Absolutely. Uh, if you are interested in any kind of commission, uh, custom whatever you're looking for you can find me on instagram at megan clara draws you can also find me drawing live on twitch at megan clara draws uh, yeah 
<laughs> that's the, that's those are the it. places that you're currently active there the twitch the drawing stuff on on twitch is is awesome it's so much fun like i don't know a lot of people go to twitch for for gaming and and whatnot and i, I get that but it's really cool to see live drawing and, and you interacting with with uh, the community at the same time so it's a lot of fun it allows people to feel like they're a part of your journey as you make that art piece so it's, it's yeah. cool thank you and I will just say you're uh, you're over on Instagram. I follow you there, and uh, your Mermaid series is awesome. As a big Ariel fan, your Mermaid series was awesome. Uh, I love just the different characters you brought in there. That was so cool. Thanks. Kat. Do you have a Merman yet? Do you have a Merman? I did a Merman. Or? I did one. Um, <laughs> it's it was Merman, a, Daddy. A couple. So. Yeah. You should do one of Ben Stiller. That would be hilarious. Oh my like god! A Zoolander version. <laughs> That's awesome. have you seen Zoolander? Come on. Yes. You've yes. seen Zoolander. Okay. Good. All right. All right. You know the reference. Yes. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Watch Club for Obi Wan Kenobi. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts if you haven't already. And if you want to write into the show. Uh, about your thoughts or predictions on this show or any that we cover in our watch club, well, you can reach out to us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or if that feels like being dragged through a fire, you can reach out to us on Twitter at GeekcentricYT or on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. Keep in mind, we have a ton of other episodes covering the latest and greatest shows and movies out now, including our recent spoiler-free reviews for the Bob's Burgers movie and Stranger Things for Volume 1. Plus, we have our weekly This Week in Geek episodes where we break down the latest trailers and news every single Wednesday with our latest episode out right now with uh, Nate and Darcy basically recanting their adventures in Star Wars Celebration while I listened in FOMO. Uh, <laughs> it was great. We also talked about some of the trailers and uh, all the great highlights from the convention and, and some of the stuff that we didn't get to see, hence the FOMO. Uh, so give, give those episodes a listen and leave a five-star review if you don't mind. We would really appreciate that. Um, also, I'm stoked to let you know next week we'll have our spoiler-free review for Marvel Studios ms marvel ahead of its general release on disney plus on june 8th and we also have a special interview with a directing duo that helped bring that series to life and of course with ms marvel coming out on june 8th we'll be starting another watch club that's right nate's going to be hosting ms marvel uh every week while i continue to hold down or try to hold down this obi-wan uh and then we also have the boys starting this friday so we're we're looking into how we're going to orchestrate all of this together so lots of content coming and new content apparently always on its way uh so be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you know when our latest episodes drop meg kev thank you so much for joining me for this watch club and as we say may the force be with you always, always.